Hello and welcome to the Limerick Post podcast. We are Limerick. I'm your host, Keen Reinhardt. Join me each week as we get to know the people of Limerick who are making the city and county what it is today. You can keep up to date with all Limerick news, sport and entertainment by following the hashtag Keeping Limerick Posted across all our social media channels or visiting limerickpost.ie. Welcome to the Limerick Post podcast. It's a We Are Limerick, where we get to meet the people who make Limerick a positive place to live. Today we're joined by Daniel Butler, Metropolitan Mayor of Limerick City, and Fina Gale, Councillor, who's been in local politics for the last five years. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thanks very much for having me. You've been into your fifth year now in local politics, and this is your first year elected as Mayor. So how are you finding the year? Busy. Busy is the best thing uh, to describe it. If anyone asks me how I am, I always say I'm busy. Um, busy, but I'm enjoying it, you know. Um, I kind of knew what I was signing up for, so I have money myself to blame, I suppose. Um, but though it's been a really great year. Um, I, I'm very lucky in that in my day job, I'm working in the community anyway, so a lot of the kind of events or organisations that I'm working with over the course of the year, I kind of know a lot of people, I know a lot about them. So it's been great be able to bring that personal knowledge when acknowledging the work because really a big part of my job is acknowledging work that's going on or launching events so to have that kind of intimate knowledge has been great and it's been also been fostered for me to kind of meet, meet friends that I haven't met in a while as well um, so I've been really enjoying it and you know the great thing about being the mayor is you get to see so many positives that are going on in Limerick and there's some amazing things going on in the city very quietly tucked away and so to be able to be go out and see that and give them recognition that they deserve, it's a great honour, you know. So I've been really enjoying it, really enjoying it. And what are some of the highs you've experienced this term? Um, well, the my mayor receptions have been really enjoyable. Um, I've been the, the kind of focus I've gone for my term is to honour people that are in the background and bring them to the foreground. So people that, you know, make things happen but don't look for the credit or the attention, you know. Um, so I've been honouring a number of people, whether it be in sport was one of the first ones. So like, you know, if you go to a GA club or to a soccer pitch or a soccer club, you know, people forget about the person's putting up the corner flags, bringing in the goals, cutting the grass. And they're the kind of people that I was after. But the, the last one I really enjoyed because I'm a big music fan. And we honoured a couple of people that were involved in music locally in the background. Uh, and they're the kind of people that they're not the artists who often get the credit and they're on, on stage. But, you know, who puts the, the gig together? Who puts the event together? Who's taking on the risk? And so we honoured a few people that are involved in it and we had a big presence here in City Hall. And just to see and realise and take a moment to take stock of the incredible musical culture that we have in the city, it was fantastic. And for a lot of people, they reckon it's probably the first time that really when music was recognised in the city. So you're, you're getting to, so I'm getting to kind of witness and give, shine a light on things like that, you know and to make us value what we have in our city. Sometimes we take a lot of things for granted. Um, so to be able to shine a light on people that are often maybe taken for granted and for the great personal attributes of the city, uh, to be able to shine a light on them, I think it's a really great opportunity. So they're, they're the kind of things I've been really enjoying, you know. And uh, when you were elected as mayor, uh, you said you've been involved in politics since you were a young boy. Uh, could you reflect on that a bit? Yeah. Um, you have no choice in my house. Um, my father was involved in politics from quite a young age himself. Um, I suppose he's a very close friend of, of Michael Noonan's. And uh, Michael Noonan approached him, I think, when he was 19, 20 or something, in, in, in quite young, to come and get involved in council because my dad would have been, my dad's family would have been quite well known. Um, and uh, so he, he got involved at quite a young age. 
um, and that kind of grew over the years, I guess, for him. And um, then, you know, in terms of campaigning, you know, you need bodies. Um, so I was dragged out, whether to be delivering leaflets or knocking on doors. So I was out from about 12, 13, 14 years of age. I reckon by 16, 17, I could canvas a door pretty well. I could probably debate issues quite well, even at that age. Um, because, I mean, as fortunate, I was around people as well of the calibre of my father and, and Michael Lunan that you, you, you learn quite a lot from them, being around them. Um, so, yeah, I've been involved from quite a young age and see the value, the hard work that's involved in it. And uh, it gives you a unique understanding of people as well, you know. And I think that's kind of translated into my work as well. You know, I've kind of chosen the career path that's about, that's about changing uh, the realities of people in our community. So it's kind of driven me in that direction. So not just in terms of my political career, but my own personal career, I've kind of committed to making a difference in the city. Um, so being, being able to do that from a young age, I think it's been fantastic, you know, it's, just, it's great learning. And, and as a young person, I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. You know, I, I really had great fun. So uh, you spoke about your involvement in the community there. Uh, what kind of work are you doing with DEPS at the moment to drug education and prevention yeah, well, strategy? Well, my, employ- my employers are um, Limerick City Community, community Development Project. So they're, that does exactly what it says in the to develop the community. So they're about empowering communities to be able to uh, kind of grow themselves, challenge issues themselves uh, and supporting communities to change in a positive way. Uh, and the project that they run um, or, or the funding is it they host is my project that I work with, which is Limerick City Community Development, which is Limerick City uh, Drug Education Prevention Strategy. Um, and I suppose that's what it is. It's a drug education and prevention strategy. So we do drug education is about educating parents, professionals and young people um, around the issues of drugs. And the, prof- the professionals are professionals working with young people and obviously parents and have kids. Uh, um, so the idea in terms of education is just giving them the facts about drugs, not the scare tactics. We kind of don't believe in the scare tactics, you know, the don't do drugs are bad kind of thing. We don't do that. We give you facts and we accept the realities that, you know, most young people will come into contact with drugs. Um, if, if, if you go to third level education, I mean, there's. I think there's. They reckon something like fifty percent of students there will, will take some level some substances. So, what you're hoping for is that when they are presented with that reality, is that they're, they're in possession of the full facts and they make a better choice. Uh, and if they are going to use the drug, that they use it safely, that they know, not to mix it with this drug or that drug. Um, and hopefully, if there's better outcomes for young people, um, as they progress through their youth and they're trying to discover themselves and grow as individuals that they do so in a safe manner um, and then I suppose the prevention end is kind of a more targeted kind of work where we maybe target certain high risk category groups so obviously we're working in areas of social deprivation um, so they, they have they have challenges in those areas that you might not have in other areas so my speciality is targeting males 18 to 25 so males 18 to 25 are a very high risk category group so they're they're at risk um for a number of things suicide drug taking criminal activity risky behaviors like car driving car accidents um because they're kind of days that all of us kind of push the boundaries you know we when we hit 18 we started drinking we we started trying things out um probably got more sexually active you know we, we start taking more more risky behaviors and, and t- trying to learn about ourselves and our society uh so for young people, particularly in areas of social deprivation, that does that age bracket, it can be a very dangerous time in their lives. So my job is to try and develop programs that engage them and get them involved because generally when most people hit 18 across the board, no matter where they are, 
they kind of disengage from um, you know their GA club or their soccer club because they're going out drinking and they're partying and they're having fun you know so and they're great support networks to have for to lead a positive life so it can be hard to engage those young people so my job my speciality is developing programs that can attract them first of all get them in and then when we get them in is to provide them with programs that uh, facilitate change and positive choices for them and reduce the risks that they expose themselves to at that age in their life and then the long-term consequence of that can be can be hugely positive just like if they don't make the bad choices the long-term consequence can, can be hugely negative so that, that's, that's essentially the kind of work that I do as I can put into a small nutshell as I can for you and uh, you spoke about some of the issues facing young adults there they face everybody really but uh, recently you were out with Limerick Suicide watching a patrol how did that go? Yeah, well, I didn't want to kind of make too big a deal of that. Now, to be honest with you, um, I was only going out giving a hand. Um, I'm trained in suicide intervention myself. I, I've done a number of suicide interventions in my job. Uh, my my background is is rehab, so you know I would have come across a lot of people that with suicide ideology, and um, we would have had to do a couple of interventions at that stage. Um, so really, I was only going to give my hand on, I suppose, an unsociable night. I was hoping to get out for Christmas Day, but unfortunately, I was sick. And my hope was to do Christmas Day and New Year's Eve, for the, New Year's Eve for them two days that perhaps we've been hard to get people to go out um, so I went out New Year's Eve uh, with them and um, unfortunately we had a we had a we had a, we had a case a very serious case um, where somebody went into the, the water uh, it was witnessed by one of our one of the members of Limerick Suicide Watch um, I was on patrol the call came through um, for to call emergency services uh, I, it was my job to call emergency services at that time um, I didn't see the person go in, um, but we're down off in the aftermath of it, um, and just to see what the guys do and what they're exposing themselves to. I mean, for them, they they saw somebody go into the water, uh, to see that actually happening. You know, the the fleeting nature of life, and then to see them in the water, floating, uh, and knowing that they wanting to jump in, but they know it's not safe and throwing uh, life boys out there to them to try and save them and it not being uh, not happening um, which is incredibly traumatic for them and to realise just the level of trauma that they expose themselves to because a lot of these people are just ordinary individuals and they go back to work next morning um, so that was incredible to watch I would rather it didn't it didn't happen but it kind of gave me a great understanding just the what these guys are exposing themselves to how real it is yeah you know and uh, you know, there's a number of things that I noticed that night. Um, first of all, the incredible response of Limerick Fire and Rescue. I have to say, I have to commend them because when the call came through, they were down on uh, the keys here, down by the, down by a house within a minute, uh, comfortably. They were in the water within three, which is their target. Actually, in the water three. I mean, it's incredible. And they had the the, the person in 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 the boat. Uh, they cleared the airways immediately. Immediate CPR in, in the boat as they transported them across St Michael's. Where they were taken from the from it, um, there was some level of responsiveness. Uh, the last report I have is that they were they were critical but stable, um, and you know it's all about that time, you know. So the the Limerick Fire and Rescue, Limerick Suicide Watch, all playing their part. That time, that quick response, you know, probably saved, not probably did save someone's life. But one of the things I did notice, and I said I need to do something about it, and I don't know what I'll do about it, but is on the way down is watching people with their phones out. Uh, it was incredibly disappointing. Um, you know, people recording it, people taking pictures. Um, 
at the end of the day, this was somebody's relative, you know, somebody's son or daughter, brother or sister, you know. And for them to be recording that, you know, probably to go online, it goes up online and, you know, if it, if it was my brother or sister, you know, I can imagine how I feel to see somebody that I didn't know posting that up online and sharing that. Empathy is the key in yeah, situations like that. It is, yeah. Um, and sometimes that's people's way of coping to. I acknowledge, I acknowledge that, that sometimes putting up a phone and looking through a phone is a, is a level of detachment to be able to cope with what they're seeing. Um, and I acknowledge that, but you need to bring awareness around that issue, you know, is that what you should be doing in that situation, you know? Um, so that was kind of disappointing to see on the night, I have to say. But what was really heartening on the night is to see people, as we were, I was mainly on Saffron Bridge, was uh, people on the way coming and going, shaking the hands of Linux Suicide Watch and thanking them for what they do. And there's a real gratitude out there amongst people, the recognition for what they do. And it was beautiful to see people take the time. Uh, we, and like, there's things I learned, like the, the Strand, for instance, provide them with toilet facilities that we wouldn't think about. They provide them with teas and coffees every night, you know, for free. Uh, and I have to pay chips to them. And even the guys would say when they went inside to get their teas and coffees that there was two or three people approached to say, can we buy you tea or coffee for the guys, you know? So, you know, the Limerick people are good, you know? Um, so I saw the, the the absolute beauty of the Limerick people and maybe the not so good side of, of Limerick people on that night. But overall, my experience was very positive of the volunteers themselves and what they're giving and the response of the general public to what they do. You mentioned the good and bad of Limerick people there, but Limerick's a completely different place now to when you were growing up. How have you seen a change? Um, yeah, it definitely, definitely has changed. You know, I think perhaps growing up was far more traditional kind of city. Um, it was a city that lacked a lot of confidence. It took a few hits, you know, the last of job in Dell, the Stab City kind of... Um, tag that we got it's kind of starting to emerge now with a bit of confidence in it because I think largely driven by a more youthful population I think you know we've seen an evolution in in a greater young young population and, and the confidence that they bring uh, and the questioning that they've brought as well you know we've far more educated uh, young people as well here locally that are asking the questions are far more self-aware um, are far more confident to be able to push through those kind of those kind of those things um, and things are kind of going right for us, I guess. You know, we're a bit of good fortune, a few things going right in terms of employment and that. But, you know, I think the focus can often be the economic aspect of things, you know, jobs and all that. And that's great, you know, and we need that. You know, we all need something to do in life. Having a job is an important part of your mental well being and keeping happy and healthy. But there's something about the feel in the city that has changed. The kind of sense of self, of sense of identity of Limerick people has changed. Um, there's a certain, it goes beyond the confidence, I suppose, as more a, a sense of identity. You know, I think for a while we didn't know who we were. We were kind of obsessed with what everybody else thought about us as a city. Um, you know, fought the stab city thing. And, but now I think there's a kind of sense of, well, we don't need to worry about that. Let's figure out who we are and be proud of what that is. And the one thing I love about Limerick, you know, is, is our edginess. We are an edgy city. There is an edge to, what, to who we are, our identity. We have an industrial background. We, we have a, a docs culture. And I think they're, they're pretty inf- incredible, pretty fabulous. And I think we're finally starting to embrace that. And, and I see that through, through graffiti art. I see that through the use of spoken word in, in hip-hop culture amongst young people. Um, there's a, that, they're, that they're embracing the edginess to say, yeah, we are edgy. We're, you know, there's something there unique about Limerick. And we're proud of it. 
and finally starting to embrace that I think there's real change happening through that kind of movement as opposed to the economic or anything else that's going on uh, certainly economic does help but I think that kind of change that's going on culturally in Limerick is a far more sustainable uh, uh, kind of for our future and has far more meaningful change for us you know as a city what do you think uh, the Limerick of the future will be? Well, I, I would hope, I'd hope in a few years, and I'm confident enough that we'll see University of Limerick in the city centre. Um, that would be a game changer for a number of reasons. It, to being an education institution of that magnitude into the city will change the, the viewpoint of the city, will bring young students into the city as well, and that would be great. Um, I think you'll see you know more in more employers in the city as well so more companies based in city because globally we're seeing that companies want to be based in city centers mainly because uh, those that they employ want to be living in cities so you know if you're going after a young person young people generally want to be living in cities where they have access to all kinds of resources whether it be restaurants pubs social you know they want to be around they want everything in smaller quarters and accessible to them without the need for transport um, so I think you'll see more employers in the city, more life in the city in that regard. I think retail probably will continue to struggle unless there's a serious change globally. But globally, we're seeing you know retail struggle on the high street. Um, so I don't think we'll see as great a presence in the city centre in terms of retail. But I think we'll see more activity in the city uh, as time progresses. Um, so I think we're going. To, we're slowly we'll see a more vibrant city, and with pedestrianisation as well, that will kind of definitely bring a new a new feel to to our city. Because at the moment we don't really don't have a heart. You know, if you want to put a pin down this is the centre of Limerick, a flag, we don't quite have that. People might say Brown Thomas or Cruise Street or whatever, but we don't quite have that that heart. So we need to develop that. Um, and I hope that we have a city that's far more green as well. So I think there's a big conversation around public transport and, and the access into the city and the use of cycle lanes and public transport. Uh, that's really encouraging to see that kind of conversation because that definitely wouldn't happen a number of years ago. That that's a sign of a progressive city when they're starting to have those kind of conversations. So I would hope that we have a, a, a city that's far more green in terms of people using cycling and, and public transport to access the city and and go to work in the morning, um, and and get home in the evening. That I, I hope that's why I feel to see that we're going as a city, and I suppose overall, you know what I see us becoming as a city is uh, a city of creativity overall and, and not, not just culturally or artistically um, uh, but I think that, that would be a, certainly a core part because I do feel that culturally we are changing we're growing there's a richness there to our culture now there's through that kind of changed identity but I think that creatively in terms of creative solutions in terms of business as well uh, creative solutions in terms of how we operate our city creative solutions in terms of how we manage our, our health and our well-being. I think as a city, creativity breeds change, advancement, progress uh, across the board in a range of issues. Uh, so uh, that that's where I see us going at the moment and I hope that we can achieve that kind of tag as being, you know, Ireland's creative city, creative solutions, creative ideas. Um, because in some ways what happened with Limerick is that we kind of felt isolated by the rest of Ireland and we said, okay, what are we going to do? And eventually we said, what? Nobody else is going to help us, we've got to help ourselves. And that, that culture now has emerged in our city that we're kind of getting on with it, we're helping ourselves, no one else is going to do it for us, let's do it ourselves. And through that change and, that, and creative solutions, and even we look at Limit 2030, 
as a very unique project in Ireland. Again, it's a very creative solution to uh, regeneration of our city centre. So I think the more we, we continue down that route, I think uh, Limerick is going to continue to be a very, very exciting place to live. Excellent. Thanks very much for joining us, Daniel. It's just the second episode of We Are Limerick, the Limerick Post podcast. Right, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to We Are Limerick, a Limerick Post podcast. For more news, sport, entertainment and more podcasts, visit limerickpost.ie.